the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Ron Geyer Roofing. The Bible describes events that will mark the last days, or end times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Matthew 24.44 tells us, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Bible teacher Ron Geyer leads us through Scripture that will help us to remain strong in the Lord. End Time Insights with Bible teacher Ron Geyer starts now. Good evening, family. Ron Geyer with End Time Insights. Thank you so much for listening. I've been having a wonderful time listening to other teachers, and I tell you, these guys are anointed. Let's see, who was I listening to? Rick Renner. I was listening to Dr. Michael Brown. I was listening to Kenneth Hagen from years ago. I mean, oh, man. Every time I think I'm a teacher, I go, whoops. <laughs> Hallelujah. But I thank the Lord for allowing me to say what I can say, to do what I can do. It's just really wonderful to be here. And I thank the radio station for putting up with me. Hallelujah. So here we go. We're still in Matthew 24. We're actually up to verse 15, but I want to backtrack to verse 14. And 14, remember, uh, Jesus was answering the disciples' questions about the end times, about the destruction of the temple, about what would the end times be, when are you coming, and what would be the sign of your coming. And in verse 14, he's closing out talking to them about the problems that they're going to be living through, about the the wars and the rumors of wars, about the earthquakes, the famines, the pestilences, the judgments. And in verse 14, he says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached. I love that. That's just definitive. I think they call it. It's in the aorist uh, tense. It is meaning strength. It is, this will happen. This is prophetic. And this gospel, not the one man has changed, not the one people think that they can alter, this gospel, the one that I am telling you about, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all of the world for witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. So he's not moving forward. There's nothing else. He's given them what they need to know about the time that uh, he's returning and what it looks like for them. But he wants to be clear, this gospel of the kingdom, it's mine. It shall be preached no matter what happens, no matter what man does, no matter what Satan does. This gospel will successfully be preached so much so that he's going to ensure that it's done by Revelation 14, 5 and 6. And I saw another angel fly in the middle of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. Everybody is going to get the gospel preached that's alive at that time. And so the worldwide preaching of this gospel, it's not dependent on man. Please don't make that mistake, okay? The gospel is preached by angelic beings as well. God will get it done. And you know that they will get it right. Included in the preaching of this gospel is the first and foremost command by the angels to those who still are earth dwellers at this time. That includes Jews, born-again Christians, and children of the devil. They will all be here, and he says, fear God, and that will be the beginning of the end. And Jesus says right there in verse 14, and then shall the end come. 
Now, as we get to verse 15, Jesus is going to backtrack just a little bit because he wants to give a special warning to the Jews specifically who are still alive in Jerusalem at this time, right before his return. And he answers their question in verse 15 about what will be the sign of his coming. And this is plainly identifies his return as taking place within a three and one half year period of the time frame from the advent of the Great Tribulation, signified by the abomination of desolation, signified by the Antichrist, the uh, false God, the false Messiah, sitting on the throne of David in Jerusalem in the new third temple that has probably been built during the tribulation period, the first three and a half years. So this plainly identifies his return as within those three and a half years. This does not contradict the what Jesus says in verse 36, I think it is, about that day. No one knows that day. But it does signify a further narrowing down of his return and when it's taking place. So just read, be careful when you're reading, understand what he's talking about, keep things in context, very important, and keep your timeline squared away. Knowing when Jesus is talking about things is always so important. So let's get into verse 15, and we'll start with uh, when, when, ye, you, when you, when you therefore, I love it, it's a mouthful there, when you therefore, all of the things that I've said before And now, when you shall see, uh, this is something that the people on earth are going to be witnesses to. They will be eyewitnesses to the sign that he's giving them. When you, therefore, because of everything I've told you about the advent of my coming, about answering your questions, when this is going to happen, what will be the sign? When you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, the prophet, stand in the holy place. And then he has, whosoever reads, let him understand. I love this because no Old Testament book has come under greater scrutiny than the book of Daniel. They question the timing. It's so exact in what it says and it's so prophetic. And so it's been under constant assault. Uh, They say it was written after Daniel. They say, no, somebody else wrote it. This is Daniel and Jesus gives it validity. He gives it credence. He says, whoever reads, let him understand. Reads what? Reads Daniel. Read the prophecies about Daniel. So those Jews still alive will see this this coming. They'll see this sign. There will be eyewitnesses to this event. And we actually can read about this event in the book of Daniel now. That's what Jesus says. Whoever reads, let him understand. He wants you to read the book of Daniel so that you will understand about the abomination of desolation. Uh, Ray Stedman, love him, he comments, then shall the end come, that's uh, chapter 24, verse 14. With these dramatic words, Jesus begins to answer the question of the disciples, what will be the sign of the close of this age? Now, Jesus focuses upon the far distant period, which he calls the end of the age. Without further delay, he describes in Matthew 24, the next seven or eight verses, the sign of the close of the age. And that's where we can kind of pinpoint in a very general sense the return of Christ. No man knows the day. Uh, I got that. No man knows the hour. I got that. But you can know the season. You can know with probably within a three and a half year time frame when Christ will return. So he describes in Matthew twenty four fifteen and 22, the sign of the close of the age. The Lord's language here is really somber. He could employ, he not mincing words, he is speaking of a time that trouble is coming, the like of which has never seen before in all of human history. 
It will be a time of superlative distress, of unprecedented peril to human life, a time of shattering, staggering, suffering such as never been seen on the earth before. There's been many black moments in history, writes Stedman, but never one like this. Those who will be living in Judea in and around Jerusalem, it will be a time to act promptly and quickly to get out of the city. It will be a time for emergency action. There will be no time left for the usual occupations of life. This part of the study of Matthew 24, it's going to be most interesting. Um, the, the Jews, remember the church is gone, but the Jews will be here. This is written mainly to Jews, although there are Christians who have been saved during this time. Thank you, Jesus. But for the remaining people, especially the Jew, this will be a time that most definitely will be a time that will truly test men's souls. So I've got this out of Precept Austin. They have a tremendous, exhaustive commentary hundreds and hundreds of commentators. You go back to Calvin, Wesley, I mean, Spurgeon, uh, I mean, just a whole plethora of Bible teachers of excellence. They don't push any doctrine. You read their comments on these things and you form your own opinion. The scriptures are there for you to read. They're there for you to study. It's an invaluable tool for me. Precept Austin, I love it. So Jesus has just ended uh, Matthew twenty four fourteen with the words, the end. And now he responds to the disciples' initial request for a sign by giving them a very unique sign that will mark the beginning of the end of this age. Don't forget, we're experiencing birth pangs at this point. The baby is about to be born, the baby signifying the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus describes a very specific sign, one which has not occurred in the past, But it's been foreshadowed. We've seen it before. We've seen something similar when AD 70, when uh, Jerusalem was destroyed. But this is in the future. It will literally be taking place the last three and a half years of man's time on this specific earth. So in Matthew 24, verse 15, Jesus says, when you see, he's indicating that this is a visible sign. He explains that the sign is the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, the holy place being the uh, Jerusalem, the temple, the throne where Jesus is supposed to sit. That gets his ire, I would think, and he's going to go ahead and that marks his return. He is coming back to deal with that. He also explains that study of the book of Daniel will help the reader understand this sign. And once again, I said the most criticized book in the Old Testament as being spurious is the book of Daniel. But here Jesus right now puts that to rest. He validates the book of Daniel. Basically, if you will study the book of Daniel, that will help you understand this sign. The temple was destroyed in 70 AD, but Jesus says the sign is of someone or something standing in the temple, the holy place. And so, by the way, I wanted to point out that you can uh, read about this. There's four places in the book of Daniel. Let me see if I've got them handy. There are primarily four perspective passages in Daniel of which Jesus could have been telling us to study. Uh, Let's see, Daniel 8.13, Daniel 9.27, I read that today, Daniel 11.31, and Daniel 12.11, all are discussed in more detail in other parts of this commentary in Precept Austin, And you can read for yourself, it details the history of Antiochus, the Fourth Epiphanes, 
during the destruction of Jerusalem way back then. It already takes you already up to the future about how this is described by Daniel and what it means and who the characters are and what is the sin, the pride of the person sitting in the seat. It's really fascinating. So I encourage you to read that. Let me give you those verses again. The book of Daniel 8.13, Daniel 9.27, Daniel 11.31, and Daniel 12.11. So Jesus says, when you see this visible sign, he says it's the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place. He also explains studying Daniel will give you greater insights that you can move forward. Now, the temple, there's three temples. uh, The first one, the second one destroyed AD 70. And then you've got the one that basically it's in the process of being built. Uh, The foundations have been laid, I believe. They got it all marked out. And I believe it gets built during the first three and a half years of the tribulation. And so uh, Jesus says the sign is of someone or something standing in the temple. Now, it's my understanding that the Antichrist will actually be seated there. But then I also understand that he will actually create a statue. Just like, remember, Nebuchadnezzar's statue, and they had to bow to it, the three Jewish children. And uh, they didn't. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got thrown into the fiery furnace. And I love it. One of the things I'm going to get to heaven and find out about. Remember Nebuchadnezzar? He says, did we not throw three men into the fire? Well, there's a fourth one in the fire. But what I loved about it, don't forget, Jesus has not been born yet in the natural realm. And yet he says, and the fourth man looks like unto the Son of God. How did he know that? Right? He knew who Jesus was when he saw him as the fourth man in the fire before Jesus ever came to earth. I love that. I think that's so fascinating. If you ever get an answer for it, you can email me or you can write me and call the show. But basically, I just think that was God opening the eyes of Nebuchadnezzar. Don't forget, you know, we've heard terrible things about Nebuchadnezzar, but we also read that he got saved. I love that. I love all the persecutions, all the evil about Nebuchadnezzar. He actually got saved. He was a tyrant. But... I believe we're going to see him in heaven. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So, of course, the problem with Jesus' prophecy that we just talked about, there's no temple right now, but there is talk about it being built. So it's no great deal of God. He created uh, a nation out of Israel that had been scattered May 14, 1948. So how hard is it for him to build a temple again? Amen? It follows that, it follows that the Jewish temple must be rebuilt in Jerusalem. If God can cause the nation of Israel to be reborn in May 1948 against all odds, then a rebuilt temple will not be too difficult for him. This is our God. I mean, he's got this. This prince of Daniel 9.24, he is the Antichrist who Daniel identifies as the little horn who rises to power out of a ten-nation conglomerate. The first three and a half years, this devilish character is not obvious, but he rises to power through stealth, through craft, through trickery, through deceit. Wow, the world is already being uh, inundated with receipt by our political leaders, our medical leaders, our, um, ooh, it's even in our pulpits. Anyway, the first three and a half years, this character is not obvious on the world scene, but in the middle of the seven years, uh, the peace covenant, he breaks that that he made with Israel, and he puts a stop to the sacrifices and the offerings that the Jews had reinstituted. And so Daniel says, he also, the little horn, he will overpower three of the ten nations uh, of the Confederacy that 
he is ruling, and Paul adds that the Antichrist will then go into the holy place, the rebuilt temple, and take his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. That gets Jesus' attention, not like he hasn't been watching already, but that gets his, his goat and his ire, and man, it is downhill for him from then. In doing so, he will commit the abomination that makes the temple desolate. Note that this sign is not the Roman army surrounding Jerusalem in AD 70. We spoke about that. That's not going to happen. But at this time, in the midpoint of the seven-year covenant, the Antichrist is empowered by Satan, the dragon, for 42 months or the last three and a half years of the seven-year period. However, since it's unlikely that the Antichrist will personally remain actually standing himself in the holy place, it's more likely that he builds something in his image like we talked about. And life was given unto the beast. And we will have to pay homage to that creation during the last dream. You know, you're hearing a lot of stuff about AI now, artificial intelligence, aren't you? And so this is nothing more than an extremely successful uh, creation from the mind of Satan and it will work. The world will come. They will honor him. They will bow to him. During this last three and a half years, the Antichrist will begin radical pursuit of the Jews, which is the impetus for Jesus taking the next five verses to command and convince the Jews to flee when they see this sign of the abomination of desolation. Verses 16 through 20, then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains, verse 17, let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Verse 18. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And 19. Woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. 20. But pray that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. Uh, let's see. So we've got one, two, three, four, five verses. And basically they're all saying... Don't fool around. Hurry. This is almost the same instructions uh, when uh, Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed and Lot's wife turned around, whether to look or to dally or just representative that her heart was left in that city, that town that God was going to destroy. Here, Jesus says, if you're in the Judea, flee into the mountains. Get into the mountains. I guess there's a place of safety there. 17, if he's on the housetop, don't bother to come down into the house. You just go as you are. Uh, verse 18, neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. If you're working in the middle of your job, he comes in the middle of the day. Go, run. Don't go back to the master's house. Don't go back for your family. Go, get out. 19, and woe unto them that are with child. If you're pregnant, it's going to be a very difficult season, implying that speed is going to be needed. It's implying that it's going to be very difficult. It's going to be difficult for someone physically to escape what's going on at that point. And then 20, but pray that your flight be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath day. And I love that. Pray that your flight not be in the winter, implying that weather will be a hindrance to their escape. And I like the second one, neither on the Sabbath day. Why? Because the Jews don't do anything on the Sabbath day. So to me, that's religion. So the weather is going to hinder their escape as well as religion is going to hold them back from getting to safety. These are very specific instructions to the Jewish people in Jerusalem. Basically, if you are in Judea, you've got to go to the mountains. You've got to show haste. Verse 18, haste is needed. Verse uh, nothing else can become before your safety. Nothing. There's nothing worth your life. 
and 19 and 20, there's going to be great hardship. Both the weather and religion will be your enemy. So we see that, and it's a terrible time, and this is just the warm-ups. I mean, it's going to get really difficult. Taking these passages in their most plain meaning, the abomination of desolation, obviously it cannot be the Roman armies or the ensigns they marched under entering in back in AD 70. I point that out because so many people think that this passage of Scripture talks about what happened in AD 70 when that temple was destroyed. But no, that's not even close to being true. There's so many truths in here that prove that this is talking about a futuristic event. Basically, this means that for the most part, Jesus' predictions in Matthew 24, they've not been fulfilled. The image of the Antichrist has not been set in the actual temple. Now, the Roman army never entered into the city. Uh, It's just too many uh, fallacies have got to be uh, promoted and believed for someone to actually think that this is not futuristic, talking about the last sign before the return of Jesus Christ. For then shall be great Tribulation, verse 21, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor shall there ever be again. Once more, then simply tells us that more is coming, (laughs) and it's coming next. Jesus defines what's coming next as great tribulation. Let's look at some of the other translations and how they refer to that phrase, great tribulation. They call it great distress, great suffering. Worse trouble than there has been ever, great affliction, lots of misery, persecution never seen before, greater anguish than at any time in the history of the world, unparalleled tribulation. Add that to the Lord Jesus says this will be a singular event. There will never be another event like this. There has never been an event, not the flood, not the world wars, not the six million Jews that Mr. Hitler killed, not the 70 million children that we have aborted. All of those will pale into the terror and the depravity and the destruction that is going to take place during this time. And basically, it's the punishment of the Jew. But on the bright side, it's the final purging of the Jew, making them ready where one third of Israel shall actually come through this. Tribulation, the word is thlipsis, <laughs> T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S, thlipsis, and it means to crush or to press together, to squash, to hem in, to compress, to squeeze. In turn, it's derived from, I can't pronounce this word, T-H-L-A-I-O, and it means to break. Originally expressed sheer physical pressure on someone, that's what this tribulation is. It's a strong term which does not refer to minor inconveniences, but to real hardships. Thlipsis describes a pressing together as when grapes are crushed beneath the weight. According to the ancient law of England, those who willfully refused to plead guilty to their crimes, they had heavy weights placed on their breasts and were pressed and crushed to death. A gruesome picture of a literal thlipsis. Once again, the word, it refers to great difficulty. And Jesus adds that the adjective megali in front of it, meaning great, to emphasize the greatness of this tribulation, megali. We get our word mega from it, M-E-G-A-L-E. John MacArthur writes that the massacre of Jews by the Romans in A.D. 70 and by the Nazis during World War II will pale by comparison. Two out of every three Jews in the Holy Land will die under the fury of Satan as he enacts 
the judgment of God on the rebels of the Jewish nation. Many Christians will also be slaughtered, not as an act of God's judgment, but in acts of ungodly persecution. Neither the behavior of mankind right before the flood, the murder of six million Jews, nothing, nothing, nothing will ever compare to this. And so this is the scenario in which Christ returns. Uh, Verse 22, we'll have to pick up on this next week, but let me read it to you. And except that those days should be shortened, there should be no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. So basically, we see in the midst of the Lord Jesus' final judgment on the Jew and those nations and Gentiles who have rejected him, there's still going to be an act of kindness, an act of mercy. But it's for the elect's sake. It's not for the people that have rejected him. But he will show some mercy on the elect's sake by shortening those days. And we'll cover that next week as we come back. Let me pray for you guys. I do appreciate you listening. I pray that you draw closer to the Lord, that somehow this helps you draw closer to God, that you know him in his mercy and his goodness and his divine love for you. Father, I thank you for protecting my family. I thank you that their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I pray that they come to know you and the power of your resurrection, the fellowship of your suffering, that they would be made to look just like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.